Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Mountain Ground Podcast. And uh, today it's actually myself, Peter, and uh, Nicolette uh, broadcasting from Wales, from Landris, where we met up for the Ultra Trail Snowdonia. So Peter will be discussing their two new coffees uh, that the Grond is listing. And uh, then the three of us will actually chat a bit about um, dealing with unexpected outcomes. Um, as this trip has been a bit of a roller coaster, and uh, I was just give you a bit of a breakdown of of what's happened. But to lead it in, uh, Peter will talk a bit more about the new coffee that you can expect from Gegrond. Thanks, Pierre. Yeah, it's um, it's really nice to meet at last in person. You know, <laughs> like uh, it's uh, it's obviously yeah like i said it's, it's been great meeting in person so i think we can quickly get the coffees just have a bit of a chat about the latest coffees that we have in stock it's been as you know you know it's been quite challenging in the coffee scene getting decent coffees that we're happy with uh, in stock and then obviously you know making sure that we can consistently supply those coffees so one of the latest one is the burundi coffee so this is quite a nice coffee it has nice stone fruit honey flavors uh, sweet spice and then I, I think when i made it for you guys on yesterday yesterday morning we did the burundi coffee it had you know you can definitely pick up some peach notes and apricot notes which is yeah that was really pleasantly uh, I do enjoy those flavors, so I, th I thought that was great. And there's actually a nice little story behind this coffee. So this Burundi coffee was produced in an area called Murambi Hills. Um, and it was uh, basically 1.5 kilometers from the wash station Bigoti. So um, Murambi Hills is, you know, if it's directly translated, it actually means one who lives strong. And, you know, the coffee producers, Migoti Coffee, um, they've basically... Uh, built this wash station in 2016 and you know they they basically collect and purchase all these coffees from the local farmers which is approximately 700 farmers in that area and um, you know then uh, some of these farmers would be as small as like 25 trees where you know they can go up to you know 700 uh, 700 trees or uh, 1500 trees and um, you know they, they do produce uh, you know about a thousand tons of, of, of coffee cherries in, in a year so they're really making a difference in the community and it's really nice that we're able to stock one of their um, you know one of their uh, coffees um, and you know that's obviously good for local st economical stimulation with more than 250 temporary workers and um, you know during the coffee season which generally runs from March to June. Um, so for this coffee, this is a nice washed coffee, um, and then it's been sun-dried. It's uh, the uh, Veritol is a, a bourbon, and then you know it's at altitude of 1,800. So you know the altitude. I don't think we've I really had a discussion about altitude, but basically it slows a bit of the growth of the bean, and you know it develops those nice and complex flavors. So um, so yeah, very excited about this one. And then last week we had a bit of a chat on the um, on the shot in the dark. So we got the shot in the dark coffees from Tanzania, and um, you know it's basically the coffee. Um, you know it's a bit of a unusual <laughs> Tanzania, but it's uh, it's ori origin is from a place called Kongi Estate. Um, also washed and sun dried coffee, and then uh, you know it was produced at one thousand six hundred fifty. Uh, meters above sea level and the veritol is a kent and um you know we still we still 
roasting a few but we have put our latest roast on the website for you guys to to purchase and you know we would definitely like some feedback so if you buy a bag like give us a shout reach out to us um we are we are hoping to get a good result at this year's uh, shot and dark and then you know we just want to say for Pierre Nicolette <laughs> so we'll get to the backdrop of what they've experienced in the last two weeks and then you'll appreciate you know how extraordinary people they are to bring those coffees to me in Ireland uh, when you know packing space and everything was so limited um, so yeah I think that's that's it from the coffee side um, I guess you guys are all quite curious to know how the Snedonia race went down and um, you know to hear the last two weeks ups and downs in the life of Pierre and Nicolette here from Mountain Abandon. Pierre, uh, let's start with, with, with you since you've been the first one to really to get across the seas. <laughs> yeah, so it was a bit of a yeah, like I said in the intro, it's a bit of a roller coaster of a trip. Um, I guess the start was just the visa, the visa applications, and with the uh, yeah priorities, I guess you know rightfully going to the Ukrainian issues. Um, I think all the visa applications just take so much longer. Where you know usually it's three to four weeks, and I got my visa after four weeks, and uh, Nicolette was left in suspense a bit longer, but she can talk more about that. So, basically, but then obviously uh, for for Peter, we wanted to bring some coffee. Or Frederick messaged me and asked me if I can bring some surprise Peter with some coffee. And I was like, "How much space do you have?" And you know, the plan was to rent a car when we got the side and everything. So I said, "No, no, no, you know, load me up. I'm bringing like a big 75 liter backpack, and I should have quite space. Got a lot of space, and uh, probably just had like a kg or just over a kg of coffee for Peter. And uh, either way, I ended up getting to Scotland by myself, not renting a car, and um, hitchhiking a lot of the time with my backpack that was weighing quite a lot of... Uh, <laughs> <it was Bumblebee. laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but at the end of the day, like, Nicolette didn't get her visa at the same time I did, but then our flights came up, so we had to... It, it was just really expensive to extend flight tickets, so it worked out cheaper for me to just head over, you know, felt a bit guilty about that, but, uh, you know, got, got, got on the plane... And uh, I spent a bit of time in, in Scotland, uh, managed to summit some peaks and some Munros in, uh, in the Cairngorms, uh, Ben McDewey and a couple of others, Cairngorm itself as well. And then I headed over to Ben Nevis, did the really cool red route up Ben Nevis. And uh, yeah, then Nicolette can uh, talk to you more about her visa processes. I think it's much more interesting than mine or a bit more dramatic, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, we all know like Nicolette's a very dramatic person, so she'll uh, she'll spice it up accordingly. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, yeah, it's nice to be here, sitting in a little cafe <laughs> on a lake in uh, Landverus, Wales. And so sorry for any background noise, but it's uh, quite entertaining up here. And yeah, so I had to wait an extra an extra week or two weeks more than Pierre for my visa and then he traveled for a week by himself while I sat back in Joburg refreshing my visa application page um, every few hours and yeah eventually at um, six weeks on the dot to the day I 
refreshed and there was a change in my status and I got an email shortly after saying that it had been processed and I went a little bit prematurely to the visa application center and while I was standing in the queue figuring out how I was going to argue with them to get my passport because I hadn't been notified I got the email to say it was ready to collect so that worked out quite well it was three o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> I had all my bags in the car straight to the airport uh, last minute got a flight that evening at half past eight and the next day which was Wednesday before the race I was uh, landing in Scotland and yeah Pierre picked me up so we traveled started traveling south <coughs> had a good first night camping and uh, the next day the next day we um, stopped in the Lake District went to the Innovate store which was really nice just to see their setup there um, obviously they're one of our, our brands um, for shoes and then arrived in Landbrus on Thursday, the day before the race. Stayed at a, a really nice little bed and breakfast that did some good pizza. So we loaded up on the carbs the day before. And then... Yeah, we declined the, the meat option um, the day before the race, saying it would be a little bit heavy for our stomachs, but the carbs went down well, really good pizza. And then, yeah. Friday morning, 11 o'clock, we were set to start for our 100 miler. Pierre's second was meant to be my first, but Pierre will talk you through a little bit of what happened on the race. Just before we get there, I must say, I would pay really good money to see Pierre's face after a week of traveling as a solo, like, you know, traveler, and then at last Nicolette arrives ready for action, and now your companion joining you for the rest of the adventure like i i think that must have been quite a big mo moment for you Pierre. yeah it was especially like in theory I, I quite i enjoy traveling a lot and i don't mind traveling alone and i've traveled alone by myself quite a lot but this time it was definitely different and very weird um i was doing all the things that we love to do i was wild camping in scotland i was you know just hiking for six seven hours the whole day and then getting to a loch and you know stripping down swimming and not sure if that was legal but you know it was fun there was no people <laughs> and then just pitching the tent and camping and it was quite yeah i wrote a blog post on that a long time ago called solitude and it's that quote from into the wild like is happiness true if it's experienced by yourself you know if it's not shared with someone else and i definitely felt a lot of that and <laughs> there was a lot of difficult times actually like doing a lot of fun stuff, but not sharing it with, you know, my adventure partner. Anyway, not going to get all emotional here now. Um, the race. It, look, it's a tough race. It's 165 kilometers, 10,000 meters of climbing. It's just, it's something we don't get in South Africa. Like, there's nothing close to it. That elevation gain, the weather conditions up in the north is really, I experienced that on Ben Nevis for the first time where, the winds were ferocious with it's in summertime but you know my knuckles went blue from the cold and horizontal rain literally because of the winds and the underfoot conditions it's if you low down it's in the bog and when you're high up it's very rocky very scrambly especially the slambrous uh, the northern wales snowdonia park area it's known for its slate and the race started from the slate museum the slate is really tough underfoot um either slipping and sliding or actually like really sharp so yeah it was it was it ticked all the boxes for us like Nicolette 
her first hundred miler like you want it to be a memorable one you don't want to come at a certain point in the race and just go like you know because some at some point you're going to ask yourself why am i here what am i doing you know why why am i actually doing this and then you, you really need a a deep intrinsic reason to be here because you have to answer these questions and yeah for us it was just it's not just another race that we can come repeat next year if this one doesn't work out and so i guess that kind of leads into the topic is how do you deal with these unexpected outcomes or what expectations do you have placed because usually in a race you have your a goal so best case scenario and obviously when you achieve that you're super stoked and you're loving life then you have a b or a c goal that you fall back to if things aren't going your way um, but you're still happy with the outcome at the end of the day because you know you've achieved the objective and then obviously have the worst case scenario of a dnf um, and you kind of process that and you bleak about it and everything but then we had quite a weird a weird outcome that you don't usually plan for you don't prepare mentally for that beforehand um, and the process of dealing with it was really really weird actually but um, I think we'll run you through the race and then we'll get to that that point um, so next share a bit about the start and just how you found the yeah you know, the beginning stages of the run yeah so um, like I said we started mid-morning on Friday it was a small field relatively speaking for the hundred miler I think there were a total of seven female um, starters and obviously more more guys but it was a yeah it was a little community that was heading off into the mountains and we had really nice weather it was overcast cool perfect for running really started off with a like a five kilometer long ascent of Snowden um, the peak and then we dropped down the back end and we were going really well and Pierre and I the plan was not to run together but because we do train together, obviously our, our pacing is fairly similar and there's no rush in a 100 miler to, to get going from the start um, or to break away from anyone. So we were taking it relatively easy and running together. A couple of other guys joined us on and off throughout the, the first section. And yeah, at about 50 kilometers, the weather started to turn a little bit so we got some more drizzle a little bit more wind and then uh, after our I think it was the, the fourth or fifth fourth. the fourth aid station um, we yeah then the, the weather really really turned and the rain started to come in heavily wind was howling and we were running along this lake and it was difficult to tell whether we were being splashed by water blowing up from the lake or rain coming <laughs> in from the other side <laughs> and I, just, I just need to say like well while all this was going on i was i i, I didn't do the 165 mile headline so i was having like a little bit of a look around here in lumberis and and traveling a little bit around well just constantly refreshing that tracker and the guys are doing so well, like Nicolette, I think you were at one stage, like uh, first, you were obviously first lady miles ahead of the rest of the pack. And then uh, Pierre, you were third or something, I think overall. So I'm like, you know, like keeping this little African flag flying really high here. Back in the ranch, like they were going through all this weather changes and all the rest. And uh, yeah, and I think you were going to say how things then developed. 
Yeah, so we got into this little hut aid station after this lake section, which we'd run in our shorts and t-shirts and only put on a thin waterproof somewhere near the end thinking oh maybe it's gonna get a bit cold um so we got to this next aid station and it was just a little gazebo that was busy blowing away but we decided we'll we'll kit up so put on some dry um thermal gear and our bigger black diamond waterproof jackets on top um waterproof pants and then yeah we, we set off again for the next section it was interesting to see how quickly the, the Brits got their waterproof gear on though. I think they took one look at this weather and realized, yep, it's time for <laughs> the extra layers. Um, they were super quick out of that one. But yeah, we followed them out and uh, we went up into the next section, which was probably the most sustained ridgeline running, so high altitudes. Um, we got up onto this this ridge and beautiful lake far below on our left-hand side, bit of like dragon's back type running from from Skyrun and this narrow knife edge ridge line and then we just went up and down over this and we started to tag quite a few peaks but all the while the weather was worsening and from the one side the rain was just hitting us the wind picked up even more at one stage we could barely move in a straight line like you were forcing yourself into the wind to move to move forward um, and it was a little bit scary and we were trying to navigate we had all our gear on that, that we uh, had with us at that time and still we were losing temperature. I think my head was just down and I was grateful to have Pierre with me at that point. I mean, it's it's a little bit different being in an unknown mountain range and dealing with, with weather like that. Um, and I was just following in his footsteps and he was leading us, checking markers, um, checking his watch. And the marshals up there, I must say, they were amazing. They would pop out from behind these little rocky shelters, no tent or anything, um, but clearly concerned. I mean, asking us, how was it? How was the previous section? What's the wind like? And on the last peak of that, that ridgeline section, the guy said to us, yeah, the next aid station is down at the bottom, but we'll just have to see what the plans are from here. And we realized that maybe these conditions were normalish for la for us running in you know tough uh, situations in the Drakensberg but your average competitor might be taking a bit more strain and unfortunately when we got to the the next aid station in good spirits because we'd you know come down and we'd managed and was yeah we were actually enjoying ourselves but they they said to us no the race has been cancelled and called off so everyone is being removed from the course at the aid station at which they are and we were sitting in third and fourth position myself and Pierre um, with the two race leaders having come through only half hour before us at that same checkpoint um, but they had also already jumped on a bus and were back off home and that was the very unexpected and unprepared for outcome for our race um, so yeah, big disappointment in terms of not completing my first hundred miler, um, especially since I wanted to do it before I was 30, which is a couple <laughs> days away, so I won't be squeezing in any <laughs> anything else before then. But at the end of the day, the race organizers made the right decision. Conditions were tough and you have to put safety first for the athletes. And yeah, we when we in, enter these races and these mountainous environments, you are not in control of everything and you need to account for the fact that 
weather and conditions may cause yeah things that you you're not in control of yeah and that it was weird like you come in and like i said you know we used to moving at altitude in the berg and it's cold and it's windy and it's very remote here in a race you do feel safer sometimes but there was definitely when we left the the mountain hut the little aid station i think it was checkpoint four before we went onto that ridge line where things really went rough i know a few competitors turned around and headed back for the the mountain hut and you know we we made a lot of time on people there i think just because we move so well as a pair trusting each other always checking up on each other and we also didn't take our race lightweight race waterproofs when we checked the weather before and both of us had our black diamond like storm line set and that for me was a big difference it was you know i was thinking about the gear i'm using and the gear that i chose to take on this and yes you have to have good shoes because your feet needs to be you know looked after but you can hobble it in you know it's not like life-saving if you want to put it that um my watch worked my like i've got the sunto 9 that works beautifully for navigation it's got a good battery life and everything but then again it is a marked route and i can get to the finish without it but the thing with the black diamond the storm line set or any equivalent of that it's not a race waterproof set it's a proper mountain waterproof set and this is a mountain race and i felt super safe just having that gear on me um and that was one of the big lessons I learned in this. When I looked at the profile more and I looked at the conditions and everything, I realized this is not so much of a race. It's more of a, if you can outlast and outsurvive the other competitors, you can do well. And that showed in the short section that we actually did move. Like we didn't start very high up in the field, but we ended up, you know, 30 minutes behind um, the previous winner of the spine race, a really hardcore fell runner. <laughs> and, uh, like, I was really happy the way we moved it in the end and how well we were looking after ourselves, like actually eating and drinking properly. And yeah, it was a it was a very tough moment when they said, yeah, guys, it's 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 kind of it's kind of this is it. And especially when they said, you know, and you guys were moving so well, you know, you were like basically joined for third or third and fourth. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a tough pull to swallow because it's like out of your control but you couldn't argue the the call the call was 100 percent spot on like they had to cancel the race because if we had to now still carry on into the night in those conditions like the winds were like 80 kilometers an hour like i haven't experienced wind like that before like I was, you've blown off your feet um running downhill was almost at the same pace as a walk if you're going into the wind it was it was really wild but that is why we love mountain running it's those you learn so much more from yourself when you're being put in a con conditions that you can't control and you have to control the controllables and let be what is so no it's a very growing experience and uh, i loved every minute of it um but anyway let's fast forward a bit then because peter was here to meet up with us and uh come all the way from from ireland um, all across <laughs> to the ferry. <laughs> all the way across to the ferry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had some good coffees and just so nice to catch up with Peter. And he was here to do the 50k race. Um, and then a bit of an unexpected turnaround for us as well. They asked us, like, well, now we have the option. This was about 10 o'clock at, 10 at night. 
Well, now tomorrow you can either start the 100 at 4 o'clock in the morning or you can start the 50k at 9 o'clock. So we thought, well, well, I wasn't too keen to be honest. But Nicolette's like, no, we'll do the 50k. So next morning we were lining up with Peter <laughs> and Peter can tell us a bit about the 50k. Well, the 50k always starts with a great cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so making sure we all have our caffeine in, uh, we obviously, it was, it was very different from a race start in south africa so we only started at nine so it was a very leisure start to the day so nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really like it's it, it is quite nice so we were just chatting we're having a very chilled morning um and then um you know like i was very disappointed for the guys like you know uh, i was actually just refreshing and i saw like this message come up with uh, you know unfortunately due to extreme weather conditions you know i was a bit confused and then Pirates, UK, some cart, which seems, <laughs> seems to be on a different planet. I couldn't get all of them, but eventually, yeah, I'm going to pick them up. And, um, you know, but on the flip side, then we had the opportunity to do the 50K together. And, um, you know, that was really, from that sense, I guess, you know, like <laughs> it was it was nice for me in the sense that, you know, I had some, some companionship, but, uh, you know, like it doesn't change, like it was heartbreaking to, to actually, you know, to, to hear that, you know, their primary goal didn't, didn't work out. So, um, so yeah, we started the race. Um, I initially thought we would just try because I've raced a few times here in, in, uh, in, in Ireland and here I, I knew somewhere something is going to happen where there's going to be a lot of a congestion. So, um, you know, I um, started out and when I turned back, like I couldn't see Pierre Nicolette anymore. And, you know, so I just continued on my own little little adventure there at the front, struggling from from the get-go. But, uh, you know, I, in contrast to, to perhaps Pierre's experience of the bogs, like I, I, do, I do like those, those muddy experiences. I probably have a bit of a broken childhood or something, but... Um, yeah, so the first part of the race was, was there was a very few boggy parts um, and then, um, yeah, so nice scenes like we were quite lucky because, um, you know, the weather did actually clear, clear up a bit and we did have some, some really nice running conditions um, and then, you know, we, we did go up Snowdon and has, you know, we had some really nice, nice views across. At the top of Snowdon it was... I don't know, like it just always has a bit of a jacket over it. So, you know, you're just running in the in the mist there at the top or in the cloud and um yeah, some some nice gnarly downhills there coming off the what was the little section off the Snowden? Was was that, that what, what is that what they call Dragon's Back? I think that's what they call Dragon's Back. Yeah, if there was one place where they would call it Dragon's Back, it's probably that. It was like a nice little scramble and the downhill's also like really steep and uh there was really cool to see like how well we could move over those like technical conditions some of the, like some people just really i think that was yeah that was really i enjoyed that a lot that was by far the favorite part of the 50k yeah i was actually i was thinking yeah maybe maybe the south africans will start getting a reputation for for being being on par with some of the alpine downhillers in europe um so so yeah that was a good section but, but here's the kicker. So, Pierre, tell us exactly, like, how, how did your race start and how did your race end? Like, this is extraordinary. Like, you, everyone needs to bear in mind, like, you know, they've done... How many kilometers did you do the previous day? 60 or... 68. 
68 kilometers with 2,500 elevation gain? 4,000. 4,000. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 4,000 meters elevation gain and 68 kilometers already on the legs. Okay, so, so just bear that in the back of your mind. Yeah, so starting the 50k, I'm afraid to say my legs were, they were tired and <laughs> they were sore. I think Pierre was a little bit better off. After all. Yeah. Um, Pierre was a little bit better off than me, but he was uh, very kind. He, he decided not to just abandon me and uh, see if he could run with Peter from the start. So we stuck together and yeah, it was, it was quite a difficult situation to convert this solitude and remoteness of the day before into being part of a pack of 700 plus runners and you know there's 20 people in front of you 30 people behind you there's everyone is chatting it's loud it's noisy it's a great vibe but it's completely different from you know what we had in the 100 miler and it was quite difficult I think to process that and make the the mental switch and with that, you know, the physical fatigue, obviously, from the day before. So it took me a, quite a long time to get going, as in like three to four hours. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just ate, actually. So for the first time in a race, I think I decided I'm just going to eat everything. Um, the aid stations were pretty good, so we stocked up on lots of so chocolate. What was your favorite? Like, if you look back now on your, on your eating spree, what's the one thing that stands out? The chocolate coated digestive biscuits. <laughs> Pierre had some on the on the hundred miler, and he said, "Oh, these are good." Like we we had normal digestives, and he said, "These are much better." I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a go. And yeah, he was right. So, but uh, digestives, Oreos, sandwiches, cheese, chips. Um, interestingly, no sweets or chocolates at the aid stations here in Wales. I don't know if that's a, a British thing. It's definitely not like South Africa, but um, fortunately we'd stocked up well at the supermarket the day before thinking, you know, perhaps it's different, um, but not really expecting it. So we were quite grateful that we'd uh, had the foresight to pack a lot of or purchase a lot of fruit pastels and uh, millionaire shortbread and <laughs> chocolate brownie biscuit things and yeah, well, you name it. We'd bought it um, and we ate it. Um, but yeah, so we got to the halfway mark, the 25k aid station on the, the 50k. And for the first time in that, that day, I actually started to feel like I have some energy and maybe, you know, I do have the mental capacity to get through this thing. And we started to pick up the pace. We were hiking a bit faster on the climbs. I think other people were maybe fatiguing. And we started to just make up positions and... We, we passed, I don't know, I think I went from 20-something, ending up in fifth um, overall for the 50k. And the last descent off Snowden Peak, um, we were right at the bottom, chilling, chatting, we had about three k's to go. And this guy came racing up behind us and he said, oh, the next, the next lady is, is just there, just behind me. And I said to Pierre, hey, come, no, no way she's going to catch us after we overtook so many ladies coming up the, the back of Snowdon. So, uh, yeah, we picked up the pace probably times two. and uh, Times five. <laughs> <laughs> and we made a bit of a dash for it for the, the finish line. And with about 1K to go, Pierre shouts, hey, 
Piet. <laughs> ons, ons kom vir jou. <laughs> I, I thought it's maybe, it's, it's a voice from the afterworld coming. <laughs> I was, I was absolutely spent and the, my moral was completely broken. Like this lady, at the, there's was one turn and I'm like, okay, it's 50 k's. Okay, so it's 300 meters to go. And she says, there's only 1.5 k to go. I'm like, Okay, you don't understand. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, yeah, it was really nice to, to hear Pierre from the back. But when they flew past and I thought for like a second I'll stick to them. And then I was like, nope, that's not happening. <laughs> that's not happening today. Like, but, uh, yeah, I was just like, it just shows you, like, uh, that's phenomenal. I mean, uh, Nicolette, you could probably, you could just say, look, you gave the other people a head start, you know, like, that's really <laughs> And really what went down, Nicolette was uh, just giving the other participants a bit of a head start. And uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's uh, absolutely extraordinary. And how did you guys find like the, the 50k? Was it, uh, did it live up to your expectations before coming to, to Wales? Did it exceed it? Like uh, in terms of like, not necessarily the event, but like the terrain and the mountains and, you know, was it what you were looking for? Yeah, like, she specifically asked the 50k, so the 50k, like, it's for us, there's just too many people, like, in the beginning at that style, there were two styles that we had to cross, and we waited about, about 15, 20 minutes to cross it, because there was 750 people, and they wanted everyone to cross on one ladder over a fence in the first two k's. So they should have planned that better, to be honest. But because um, we're all just standing there, and like 750 people is a lot. It's 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 a lot. And some of the trails, I think, gets worn quite badly because it's so wet, and now you have all these people going over it. But once the field spread out and those like scrambling sections where we could get past people and a lot of the climbs, then yes, the, from a terrain point of view, and what we experienced on the hundred miler, like the hundred miler, we were running with. Um, and you have the time to meet people, you know. There was a really cool French guy that we spoke about, spoke to, and he he's done the hundred mile on Reunion Island. And there's another British guy that was always like kind of leapfrogging, you know. We were kind of like passing him, and then he would come up to us again. And so you could actually meet people and talk to them nicely. And the terrain on the hundred miler that we expect experience was was amazing. Like it was like underfoot. I enjoyed the technicality of it. It was it was really cool. The fifty mile, uh, the fifty k, the second half of the fifty k especially was beautiful. It was a uh, really, it was yeah, just the the peaks we par we tagged and like with the lakes way down below, and uh, the trails were really good. Like it was, yeah, I just enjoyed that a lot. And um, the weather is is proper mountain weather, so you accept it. And it is, it's it's a tough race. It's kind of like it's exactly what it is so no we enjoyed that a lot um dealing with motivation levels and stuff on the 50k was really tough actually like from the start i felt really good and i could i felt like i could actually just race this 50k but then about 10ks in i just didn't want to be there anymore like i just like i don't want to share this with all these people like i don't want to like i don't want to run really and uh then yeah later you just push through that and um there was one like boggy section where 
<laughs> both me and Nicolette sunk to our hips in the bog. <laughs> so I laughed and I'm like, oh, Peter is finally getting his bog. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like little stuff like that actually cheers you up a bit. And um, the climbs, we were feeling really strong on the climbs and our quads were a bit sore on the downhills. So the climbs, we made up a lot of time and the downhills, we just kind of took chilled in the beginning there. And then you start getting into it and you're really like appreciating not just the fact that you're fit enough to do it, but you actually that you have the that you say yes, that you have the willpower to do it. Because a lot of people actually have the capacity to do, you know, to take part in adventures, but not necessarily, yeah, they just don't say yes sometimes to go do it. Um, and I think that's important. We need to realize that, you know, we need to say yes to opportunities that come our way or create the opportunities. And that was nice. I just like really appreciated the fact that I could be running here with Nicolette and we can share this passion together. And then, yes, I was in my mind secretly hoping that we are going to catch Peter. Um, and that's why I, I try to push at some sections because I was adamant, like, if we can catch him, like, uh, it needs to happen. Anyway, so it was quite fun, funny when we, I, I, th I thought he was long gone. And then I saw Peter up ahead. So it was, that, yeah, it, was really, it was really nice to see him out on the route. And then to share a beer after the run, you know, because he literally came in like so a minute or so after us then. Um, but that was just because Nicolette was sprinting away from the, from the British competitor behind her. But, um, yeah, so we shared a beer afterwards and just chatted about the event and just sat there taking it all in. And although you have the disappointment of the previous day, it just showed, you know, to sit and, like, I don't know, mull over it and it would just drive you crazy. So when you have these unexpected outcomes, I guess, well, just take action. Just do something, you know, do something more like motivation doesn't always just flow your way sometimes you have to move and you have to move forward for motivation to follow and come your way so i think that's a lesson for me there it's not just saying like yeah i was feeling strong i had a great race now this happened it was out of my control now i can just sit back it was to say okay cool i'll you know I'll, we'll go do the 50k the next day and let's go have fun let's we've come all this way let's see the rest of the route let's see more of the mountains and uh yeah, i'm sitting here with a very very grateful heart and uh, just happy to have friends that encourage adventure and happy to have friends that share adventure with me yeah i think uh i can definitely like relate it's uh you know it's uh, not only great having friends around uh, but you know, in this instance, you know, we've always been chatting either over a Zoom. Have we ever actually done a Zoom call? We've, it's always been WhatsApp or... Our first call ever was we came off Monk's Kyle. We came off Grey's, I think. And then we, Monk's Kyle, and we set up. Yeah, right. That was quite cool. That was the first chat with you and Frederick ever. Like, yeah. a couple of, probably like three years ago, two years ago. Yeah, so that makes it, you know, that does make it quite special that you can share these things and... You know, we can uh, definitely have a good few laughs afterwards and, uh, you know, some good memories. That, that last beer, that topo, topo beer. Top out. <laughs> top, top out beer, like, uh, that was that was a memorabilia, a memorable, sorry, <laughs> memorable moment. And, uh, you know, making a nice coffee in the morning and, like, that pizza, the first time we actually met again, well, we met in person and, and sharing the pizza and, uh, you know, it's been... Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a great like like weekend, and um, you know I know you guys have a day or two left here, um, you know, but I hope you you experience the last bit, some extraordinary things, and you know some ex uh, some unexpected things as well. 
Except for the weather. Like, <laughs> that's always expected. <laughs> yeah, and just uh, one thing I wanted to add in there. In Peter's defense, he was quite sick um, for about two weeks before this race. And it was questionable whether he should have been here or could have been here or not. Um, but at the end of the day, he showed up and he went out there. And it's just, you know, a lesson to everyone. And, you know, from our side, things don't always go your way. And you have to just kind of make the most of it and you will always be rewarded for for saying yes or going out or doing something even if it wasn't what you planned so it's definitely worthwhile and although we only have two days left we intend to make the most of it we need to take some photos see some more mountains uh, maybe do a little walking I'm not, our legs won't won't be too happy but <laughs> we might go and try to climb if not a peak just a hill um, to get some good views and appreciate the the last of the time that we have over here in the uk no definitely it's uh it's been a special like i've always been obsessed with the fell like fell running and the idea of it and i've wanted to come experience just to see how it compares to the drakensberg and it's very similar the drakensberg is more remote more hi it's higher it's there's a lot of different things but the nicest thing to take home for me was that I can move in different mountains and uh, that we can move very well in different mountains, not just the mountain that we kind of specialize in. And that it's, it's a nice, yeah, it's just a nice thing to know that being savvy in the mountains does relate in the same, you know, threat area management kind of stuff that you take in that helps you even in this race. Like this race was not just a race. It was, oh, it's a rough one. And I can, Anyone that's keen for a proper adventure and not a fast hundred miler, but a you know <laughs> a really tough one, uh, yeah, look at look at Ultra Trail Snowdonia. I think it um, can reward you. No, I think I don't really have anything else to to add except to say like you know you've obviously heard you know the immense challenges that you guys faced you know but i can i can honestly say that you know the way you've been dealing with it has been quite inspiring you know you guys make the most of of these situations and you know i can i can honestly just imagine what the disappointments that you know you guys went through but all in all you kept up and you know you just made the best of your situation so you know well done for you guys you honestly uh Good role model for everyone out there. <laughs> <laughs> role model at South Afrikaans. Yeah, so um, I think on that note, I think yeah. we'll, we'll end episode seven there. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Just thanks for listening, as yes. always. <laughs> yeah, you need to. Oh, you need to do your outro. Then I need to add that. <laughs> nah, let's just cut it there. I think. Um, no, it's 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 been a nice podcast to, yeah to record it's nice to sit and talk you can see facial expressions and we can really share some emotion in it so now remember to subscribe to catch all uh following episodes and uh, also like peter said earlier with the feedback regards to coffee and stuff same goes for the podcast you know just send us a direct message uh, most of you probably have us on social media or emails and just send us your feedback and what you'd also like to listen to in the future, what we can discuss, you know, whether it's nutrition or gear or any mindset kind of stuff, um, different coffee brewing methods. Like, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole now, but Peter did a, quite a various amount of coffee methods with us now. And he's like, ah, oh, this is too acidic. I can make it more like this. So no, he's got a lot of knowledge to share with regards to coffee as well. Anyway, we've run out of time. Thank you for listening and uh, check you guys later.